0: 1 Timothy 1, verse 11 is where we'll start. You follow as I read. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ mm-hmm. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, To life everlasting. Now unto the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, Son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 12. We'll look at the entire passage, but I want to start in verse 12. It says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I want us to think together on this phrase, putting me into the ministry. Now, think with me just for a second. I know I'm overgeneralizing, but it's all right. I'm a preacher. You get to do that. Most of us here had a time in our life where we were in a service or at a camp or at church revival meeting or in our own Bible reading where we believe God spoke to our heart about something. We're already saved, but there was a time when we said, Lord, I believe you're calling me into the ministry. I understand that's not everybody here, but... Most of us understand that. We knew God was dealing with us about something specific. So then God leads us to a Bible college. And Dr. Comfort said many times he started this Bible college to train people, to send people into the Lord's work. That's what it's all about. Now, there's a difficulty that comes when you have a Bible college. And the simple difficulty is we're trying to send people into the ministry. Therein lies the difficulty. Some people can have a, a moment in a revival meeting, in a camp service. We all know every camp on the planet has people, has decisions, has a service, people responding to full time service, to the Lord's work, and we have that decision. That's great, but it's not any good. It doesn't accomplish anything unless we get over here and somebody actually goes into the ministry. I'm always struck by how many churches we're in, like with a singing group or different things. And you can be in a church, in a good church, and there's all kinds of people in that church that will tell you, I should be in the ministry. Or I went to Bible college. Or I pastored for a while. Or God had called me to the mission field. Uh, One young lady graduated in the past. She gave a testimony one time. I've never forgotten it. She said, I said to her one time, what I say to a lot of the graduates, people getting ready to graduate second semester, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? You know, I mean, finishing college, everybody says four years, and then it's like I can't wait to be done, but the problem is then what do I do next? It's not near as much fun as you think it's going to be figuring out what I'm going to do next. And she said, well, she said, My grandparents said they were called to the mission field and never went. My parents said they were called to the mission field, went on deputation, and never went. She said, what do you think I should do? Go to the mission field. Boy, it's a lot of people talking about the ministry. The difficulty is not as many people going into the ministry. Therein lies the difficulty. We can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for yourself. And it seems a little foolish to have the buildings, to have so many churches and people that have given sacrificially, to have so much sacrifice given to a Bible college, and then at the end of the day, not have as many people go into ministry as we had anticipated. We really only have one focus. If we don't fulfill that focus... It's like a failure. It's like we didn't do why God called us into existence. We didn't fulfill what God has for us. Now I understand the ministry is difficult. I understand there's challenges. I understand there's all kinds of things that come into our life. But the difficulty is God called you. You're training. Now the question is, what's next? How do I go? How do I get to it? Can I just say as simply, it's kind of like to me, if somebody says today to me, in this day and age, 2022, I have a hard time finding a job. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, are you seriously kidding me? The only growth industry right now is the guy who makes that sign that says, now hiring. That's a growth industry today, because that's like everywhere. And I say the same thing about if you're telling me you want to go in the ministry. Really? It's not that difficult to find a place. It's not that challenging to find a place. If you're saying, well, I can't find a place, and you don't actually find it, I think there's something wrong with your looker. You're not looking in the right spot. You don't have the right idea what you're trying to find. The whole idea is to go into the ministry. The whole idea is God has a place For you, God can use you. Simple definition of war. In every country, in every generation, young men, and in our country we know young women, but you understand, young men have to be willing to go to war. That's true in America. It's basically true in every country. Now, there was a time in our country where we had the draft. It's hard to believe we ever had that in this country. My two brothers were drafted in the military during the Vietnam era, and they went, served there two years. They would never work in America today. You couldn't have it. We'd have riots in the streets. It would make the BLM riots look like a Sunday school picnic by the time they got done if we actually instituted the draft. But we have a volunteer army, and we have to have volunteers. Now, the difficulty, is you know, there's all kinds of financial incentives and different things, but we still have people volunteering to do that. Now, the question is for this, what about volunteering and going into the ministry? God has a place for you. A guy that pastored, and I've gone to his church both times on the, on the Nebraska mission trip, but he pastors just across the border in Iowa, so we've got we've to pray about whether or not we want to go over there. That's a joke. We go over there willingly into the state of Iowa. But anyway, he's a guy. Here's his testimony, interesting testimony. It relates to everybody in the room. He's sitting in church. He's a faithful layman in a church. Missions conference. Never went to Bible college. Never called to preach. Nothing. Just a faithful layman. Raised his family in this church. While he's in this mission conference, a guy said, He said, I could find you two dozen churches in the Midwest that need a pastor today. And he says, that's not possible. He said, that's just a guy talking. He says, "He said, in our church, pretty good-sized church, really not that far from here, we have over two or three dozen guys called to preach. Now, none of them actually preach. They just like to say they're called to preach. And he said, there's no way... There's two dozen churches in the Midwest that are looking for a pastor. So he couldn't get rid of that statement. It just kept in his mind. He couldn't get away from it. So he gets on the Internet. He starts trying to bounce around, trying to find somebody. He finally gets a hold of a guy who pastors in the state of Nebraska. And he calls him up, and he says, I heard this statement at Mission Conference. I know it's not true. What do you think about this statement? The guy goes, absolutely true. So this guy, a layman. He says, you tell me one church. You give me the number of one church that's true of, one specific church. So he does. He picks this church in Iowa. Church started by another guy. A guy started that church. He moved on. Church is struggling. Been without a pastor for three years. They have six people in the the building. And the guy calls him up, and he's talking to this layman, and he says, tell me about your church. And this man, this layman in South Carolina, he says, listen. He said, I'm interested. And the man, the layman said, don't be playing with me now. He said, because we've already had serious discussions about shutting the church down. So he says, I don't want to put any more pressure on you, but he said, you're our last hope. He said, "If if if you're joking around, he said, don't waste my time. But he says, if you're serious, we'll give you a chance. You can come and look it over because he says, we're just about to the end of the rope. So the guy flies up there, once again, never pastored. He leaves his family. He, he has a job that he can transfer. He leaves his family. He leaves his grandkids behind and he moves to Iowa and he moves in and buys a house and starts to pastor this church, six people. Never Bible college trained. Just a guy, never even hardly taught Sunday school in his life. Just a faithful servant in the church. And he says, God has called him to preach. He's been in that city now 10 years. He's been there 10 years. The original six people are all either already in heaven or in a nursing home and unable to come anymore. But can I just tell you what that guy did? That guy rescued a church. He saved a church from extinction. He's doing a good job. Now, he's like everybody when you're doing a job of the ministry. You think you haven't accomplished anything. But I try to tell him he's doing a lot. He's doing a great job. The last two times we've been there on Sunday morning, I know this doesn't sound like much, but where he's at, it is. There were about 15 to 20 people there. And I thank God, first of all, that somebody's willing but it's just an attitude of spirit he was willing to go into the ministry, into the ministry. Now, let's take that verse. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. We, several truths we want to learn this morning. The first truth is we have to have a definition. We have to have a definition. Now, this is where it gets difficult, and we're not really in the text yet, but I want you to look at a couple of verses with me. There's three specific words I want to spend a few moments on. First of all, the word is minister. To minister, a verb. Second of all, ministry. And thirdly, the ministry. We have to define these terms. We have to understand the difference between them because definition is the whole battle and we have all kinds of different definitions of it. But first of all, to minister. Go with me in your Bibles, Romans 15. We're gonna go quickly on the verses, Romans 15 and verse 25. To minister. This is something every Christian is supposed to do. Here's the Apostle Paul. He says this, Romans 15, 25. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister Unto the saints to minister unto the saints, the Lord Jesus Christ describing His ministry in Mark ten forty five said this: I come not to serve, but to minister, and to give My life a ransom for many. In other words, to minister is something that everybody is supposed to do. Second of all, think with me about ministry. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians five and verse eighteen. 2 Corinthians five and verse eighteen. 2 Corinthians. 5 and verse 18 the Bible says this and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation now that's a ministry of soul winning that's for everyone and so, we have people that minister. That's all Christians are supposed to minister. We have the ministry. We were in a church yesterday, local church. There's the ministry of the local church. There's a lot of parts in a local church. Every part is important. There's people that have the ministry in the nursery. That's absolutely essential. There's people that did junior church yesterday. There's all kinds of individuals in the, in the ministry. But now, here's the third word here's where we have a difficulty, here's where we have a misunderstanding. Okay, And this phrase is the ministry. There used to be a phrase that's used and it's become attacked by so much you don't hardly hear it much anymore. But I heard it all the time when I was young, full-time ministry, full-time Christian service. Now, you've heard that term, and to be real honest, the problem is we've heard it critiqued a bunch. Here's what people say. Now, just stay with me. We'll get to the text in just a second. People say, oh, full-time service, we shouldn't use that word. Every Christian should be a full-time Christian. Nobody's arguing that point. That, that You didn't say anything. Everybody understands everybody's supposed to be a full-time Christian. Everybody understands wherever you work or whatever you do, you should be living for the Lord and all that be a full-time Christian. But here it is. There's a difference in full-time Christian service. In other words, we need people in full-time Christian service. There's a difference between somebody who teaches Sunday school in their church, absolutely essential, and somebody who pastors, who is a missionary in full-time Christian service. To be real honest, we've attacked the term full-time Christian service so long in our good churches, we've reaped what we've sown and we've reaped not very many people going into full-time Christian service. In fact, the whole message is this. You're sitting there and you're thinking, should I really go into the ministry? Should should I really serve the Lord full-time? And the the argument is, and this is the argument of everybody that went into the ministry and left the ministry, they will say, it's a wrong statement, I think it's a wrong philosophy, but you can hear it all the time. I can reach more people on a secular job than I can in the ministry. Well, if you do that, you don't have the right kind of ministry, first of all, and you might find out that on your secular job, they're not near as enamored with your soul winning ability as you are. In fact, they may be more interested in you actually doing a job and getting paid for it, the very nature of a secular job. So we have a problem of we have very few people that want to go into the ministry. And I'm talking to people that came to a school that trains for the ministry. That's it. Nobody's here in the football scholarship. Dr. Spencer had a football scholarship, but, you know, he was, he was a lineman in the Maranatha days. I'm, he was on the football team, absolutely. We didn't have scholarships either. Nobody's here in an athletic scholarship. Nobody's here in an academic scholarship. We're here to train for the ministry. Now, the question is, are we going into the ministry? You see, there's the difficulty. And so we have all different kinds of terminology. And on every debate in our larger society, the debate is always about terminology. Okay, here's my dad. He has to have a heart bypass surgery, 2008. And uh, he goes to, we're in Minnesota, so he goes to not the Mayo Clinic, but it's St. Mary's Hospital. It's part of the whole system. And the guy who's going to do the surgery, my dad is 85 years old at this time. He has to have a triple heart bypass the guy who's going to do the surgery is the guy they just hired from the University of Southern California. He's the head of surgery. He says, I do, a surg- I do a heart surgery every day, Monday through Friday, 51 weeks out of the year. He said, I know you're thinking, why don't I take a day off? He said, I'm dealing with people's hearts. He said, I can't really take a day off. And he says, every day at this hospital, we have 18 surgeries Dealing with heart bypass. His job, he was the chief surgeon. He did a surgery every single day. He did an operation every day. He always took, he told me, what he considered was the easiest one of all 18. And he picked my dad. And he said, because the easiest one is going to be the fastest. And when I get done, he said, we have the operating room set up where I can go and I can see into every single operating room. And I can talk to the surgeons. And sometimes, after I finish my surgery, they'll say, could you come and help me, doctor? I've got this issue. Or they'll ask me a question. And he says, and I do one surgery every day, but I supervise all 18. He said, I do that 51 weeks out of the year. And he said, Saturday and Sunday, I come in because they just had heart surgery. They're in intensive care. It's a big issue. Now... There's all kinds of people in those operating rooms. We understand that, right? We understand there's all kinds of helpers. There's all kinds of people. You got a whole system built up. Do we understand the key part that that guy plays? That guy plays. He said, This is what I've done for my entire life. He said, 30 years plus. And he says, I figure every day I'm saving somebody's life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now, nobody in their right mind would say, we don't need any heart surgeons. That's ridiculous. Nobody would say that. You'd be a crazy man if you said that. But yet, we allow people to say, we don't need people into the ministry, and they say it all the time. And if we're not careful, those of us who are supposed to be in the ministry, that's you, are going to start to adopt that wrong thinking, and we are going to justify Disobeying what God has told us to do. Listen, God has a call in your life. Don't step down for anybody, don't back up for anybody. Listen, if you can't get in the ministry, you're just not looking hard enough, my friend. It's everywhere. We need more servants, we don't need less servants. We need more servants. And so I come to you today, if you're allowing in your mind that thinking of, oh, this college education is good, I've enjoyed it, now I'm going to go back home and teach a Sunday school class. I understand that, and we need Sunday school teachers, but what we really need is somebody to start churches. What we need, really need is somebody to pastor churches. What we really need is like this layman guy who came from South Carolina to Iowa and rescued a church. That's what we need. We need somebody. You know who that is? That's you. And Timothy says the exact same thing. So first is definition. The second is the design. Do you see it? In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Turn with me in your Bible there. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul says this, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Three key parts of this. First of all, Paul was thankful to be in the ministry. Do you see that? And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a special calling. This is God's calling on your life. And it is a blessing to be in the ministry. Is it going to be a challenge? Yes, it's going to be a challenge. Is it going to be difficult? Anything worth doing at all is difficult to do. Is it going to be, is the entire world going to open up their arms and say, thank you for doing it? Probably not. You're not going to be given the key to the city too many places. But it's all right. We're thankful Because God has called us into the ministry. Second of all, do you see that still in verse 12? Who hath enabled me? Who hath enabled me? The enabling power, the enabling ministry of the Holy Spirit. God has given all of us different gifts, different abilities. And God can use us in certain areas, but we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it by ourselves. We take the education. We take the training. It never ends. It never stops. But then we say, God, thank you for enabling me. I've had several times in the ministry, specific times where there was no doubt, a a, a specific funeral, a challenging funeral or a challenging sermon or a different situation where there was no doubt I couldn't do it in my own strength. That's true every single time, but there's sometimes more evident than others. Lord, I need you. Can I just say what a blessing that is for us to be used in God's work and to say, Lord, I can't do it in myself. I can only do it through your strength. It says he hath enabled me, enabled me. I understand we have all different kinds of ability here. I understand uh, we have different things we're good at and not good at. I think really, generally speaking, you guys are some of the most talented young people I've ever seen in my life. But talent isn't going to get the job done. that's That's not going to get you across the finish line. Some of you have great musical ability. You've worked on it and stuff. Some of you have great speaking ability. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying if we rely upon it, we're going to fall flat on our face. If we think that we are something special, then we're not going to rely on his enabling. God, I need you. I can't do it myself. I don't think we're arguing against doing it yourself. I think there's a tendency, if we're not careful, to rely upon our own strength. When we come to the end of our own strength, we quit. Well, I can't do it. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. So first of all, he was thankful. Secondly, he was enabled. But thirdly, he was faithful in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. First of all, we see the definition of the ministry. Second of all, we see the design. Thirdly, we see the danger, the difficulty of going to the ministry. I don't have time to fully flesh out all of these verses, but we'll hit the high points. First of all, in verse 16, the apostle Paul said he should be a pattern. Howbeit for this cause in verse 16, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern. To them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting, to be a pattern. In other words, God is working in your life right now, and the ministry, part of the ministry, and this is a difficult part of the ministry, is you're supposed to be a pattern. And if you're going to go from the college into the ministry, you're going to transition, to put it kindly, dear students, from being the criticizers to be the criticized. Let me just tell you something. It's not near as much fun as you think it is. In fact, sitting back and criticizing is a lot more fun. That's why it becomes a parlor game most of the time. But to be the one up front, to be the one leading, is a challenge. Can I tell you, though, it's exactly the challenge that God has for you, to be up front, to be the pattern. Not saying anybody's perfect. Not saying we haven't, that we've arrived or anything like that. I'm not saying that for anybody. But I'm saying to serve in the ministry, you've got to be a pattern. It goes without saying. It is a statement that almost doesn't have to be made. But he was a pattern. Second of all, he gave him a charge in verse 18. you say this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. There's a charge there. There's a war going on. There's a battle going on. Can I just suggest to you that in every battle in American history, there were people that were killed in battle? There were people that were injured in battle? It's the very nature of battle. We don't like to talk about it, but we know in America we sit here in freedom and in prosperity because we had those willing to go to battle. Can I say spiritually it's the same truth? If you came from a good church, it's because somebody paid the price for that church. Somebody sacrificed. You're sitting here because others have sacrificed before you. You have this privilege because people sacrificed. We should thank God for their sacrifice. But the simple question is, who is the next generation to make that sacrifice? Who is the next generation? Uh, We talk about missions, we talk about missionaries, we read the missionary biographies. Stop just for a second and think of the price they paid, the sacrifice they endured, the struggle they went through. I read their stories and ask myself, how did they keep going? Without communication like we're used to today, not getting a letter from home for months on end, how did they keep going? There's only one answer. They were doing what God called them to do. They were faithful to what God had called them to be, so first of all he says to be a pattern, second of all he says to be a charge, and thirdly, here it is in verse verse nineteen, holding faith in a good conscience with some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymeneus and Alexander third challenge, third danger is some will be in shipwreck it 's a difficult thing first 12, According, uh, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry. I was at a high school football game one time in Nebraska that one team was punting, and the other team, and this guy went up to block the punt, and he kind of jumped in the air. And he had his hand out like this, and the guy, the, the up guy that's like the blocker, blocked him, and And hit him like right here, and he must have hit him in a strange way because the guy's body, he's up in the air, and he gets blocked, and the guy's body never moved again. He hit the ground head first. And I've never seen a play like this. The ref immediately called the play dead, and immediately he turned around. Every high school football game, there's an ambulance there, and he's immediately motioning for the ambulance to come out. And I've never actually seen this. The kid never moved. moved. Never moved at all. They wrote them out. Then they went on the on the speaker system. I've never seen this. And said, "Is there a doctor in the house?" And so the doctor, there was somebody there who was a doctor who came down on the field. They came down the field. They shut the game down. Uh, I actually saw high school football players like crying because of this injury. In fact, after that, they actually had a discussion if they wanted to even continue the game. That guy eventually. Uh, Survived. He didn't play any sports for two years. Uh, he was a sophomore at that time. He didn't play, and he only played certain things in in uh, certain sports. But he was injured in such a way. What I thought was so amazing. And I've been to a, a bunch of high school football uh, football games to watch, but I've never seen actually somebody called out of the stands, a doctor to help the guy. But he was injured. And I and I was watching this, and it was just like a tense moment. a moment, there's like a thousand people at the game. No noise, you know, dead silence as they were working on him. They worked on him for by 15 minutes before they put him on the stretcher. And you've ever seen those kind of situations, they're concerned about all kinds of things. They've got him so he can't move or anything like that. Uh, took him to the hospital, and, uh, you know, there were stories in the paper later on uh, of different things they were afraid for, of, paralysis and different things. But at a time like that, what you need is somebody the doctor, that knows what he's doing. It a, it's a, could be potentially a life or death situation. Now, here we are. We're sitting in chapel, and we're just talking about something like the ministry. It's always kind of a challenge to me that it's all about the ministry, yet sometimes we have people that don't go into the ministry. It seems like there's a disconnect there. It seems like we've got the wrong kind of thinking somewhere, somehow. And so here's what Paul said to Timothy. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you thank God for that? God's called you in the ministry? Who hath enabled me? For that he counted me faithful. You got to maintain that faithfulness. Here it is, though, putting me into the ministry. God has a place for you. God has something for you to do a Christian school classroom to teach in, a youth group, a church, a mission field. We're not going to run out of opportunities, guys. It's impossible for us to exhaust the possibilities. But what we need is somebody that will say, I will go into the ministry. Not looking back, not complaining about it. I'm going to go into the ministry. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I will go into the ministry because that's what God has called me to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful, that we would be obedient to you, that we'd be exactly what you have for us. Lord, no doubt you've worked in the lives of everyone here to get them to this place, to get them to this spot. So, Lord, you know. Uh, Their heart, you know the situation and the circumstance better than any of us. But, Lord, I pray and I ask that you'd work in people's hearts and lives this morning, that they'd be submissive to your will, to your plan for their lives, Lord, and that they would go into the ministry. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.